Hello, hello everyone. This is Heather. This is Kara. And you're listening to I'm Not Complaining. I'm just asking. It's our podcast. Welcome. You guys, we get questions. Questions like, how do you do it? And more specifically, what they mean by that is, how do you edit? How do you record this amazing podcast? We literally cannot wrap our minds around it because it's so amazing. And I got to tell you, like with many extraordinary things, we have a lot of help. We're going to post a picture of who we have in our sound booth assisting us with our recording. Our head engineer is someone that you are probably very familiar with. He's red. He wears a mask. He's got a real mouth on him. Just like myself. He's a real friend and hero to this podcast. Her head grip and engineer. Who always gives maximum effort. It's Deadpool. Specifically, tiny Deadpool on a novelty silly straw. (laughs) He may forget his Hello Kitty duffel bag quite often. But the one thing he does not forget is the microphone that's right so we have a novelty silly straw that we use as a microphone stick to clip our lavalier microphone to and um he's doing a heck of a job as heather said maximum effort is given every single time that we record this podcast and i hope that you appreciate the time and effort of myself heather and of course deadpool (laughs) The prep work that goes into every episode, uh, the topic that we pick, to the research, and he really tries to remind us to have a good time. Yes. We're always battling the elements, whether it be construction, the crows, airplanes, helicopters, honking horns, and of course... The trash truck. (laughs) Yes. So thank you so much, you guys, for hanging in there with us. Now, today's topic is inspired because we were flipping through the channels the other night, looking for something to watch, and we stumbled upon the good time, all the time, classic PBS series. No, not Masterpiece Theater. And no, not the parody spinoff on Disney Channel. Mousterpiece Theater. I'm talking about Antiques Roadshow. The Antiques Roadshow is something that the whole family can sit down on the couch and enjoy together. That's right. It's part game show and it's part educational experience. I enjoy the American version of Antiques Roadshow. More so than the British version. I think Heather is a fan of the British version. I More so than the American version. Now, I'll say I I like them equally. Um, The Antiques Roadshow British version uh, started on the BBC in 1977. And it is hosted by Fiona Bruce. And the UK version is always filmed at some vast rolling estate 
with huge gardens and lawns and just a wide expanse of outdoor space. And there's usually a huge mansion or even a castle in the background, which, I mean, come on, how amazing is that? And in my version, the American version, is hosted by Mark Wahlberg. Not that Mark Wahlberg. We're not talking about Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Hey, hey. Say hi to your mother for me. (laughs) And Mark Wahlberg is the host of another show. Uh, The Bachelor. Yes. So, this was his first gig. Yeah. And... He still does it. Yes. The American version of Antiques Roadshow started in 1997, and it takes place in... What could be more of American setting than a convention center? Yeah. Made of cinder blocks and concrete, arrows plastered <laughs> on the floor and duct tape. Air conditioning. Yeah. yeah. I love it. It's <laughs> the environment in which people are getting things appraised are so different. And the other differences are the intro and outro mm-hmm. for each show yes so the british version has classical music that's very regal a lot of fanfare it's got horns Uh that you would expect like when someone of royalty it's like a coronation almost is getting announced and it's and you have people traveling to the road show, to these, as Heather mentioned, estates. And people are in their Sunday best. Almost like an afternoon tea setup. And it shows a car rumbling down cobblestone and gravel road leading to the estate. And then I feel like the ending music is kind of a remix, a reprise of the beginning, but it has a little extra flute. They pour some more flute on it. It has a very delicate flourish of a fanfare at the end. Do you think Ron Burgundy was a guest appearance? To play the jazz flute? Took some time off from Tino's? The difference of the intro for the American version Mm -hmm. is on a ragtime piano. It gets you jazzed (laughs) and excited for the items you are going to see on the Antiques Roadshow. That's right. And Heather has mentioned and brought up to me almost every single time that we have watched the Antiques Roadshow, especially when they put the British version and then the American version back to back, is that the tone of the people that attend the Antiques Roadshow on the two different versions really encapsulizes the personalities 
of British people versus American people because British people on a whole, I think as a culture, are a little bit more subdued. Reserved. Than American people. <laughs> yes. Because British people that are coming to the Antiques Roadshow typically are getting things appraised from their estate, from their family that's been passed down from generations to generations, versus American people, this have brought things that they assume and hope and pray are valuable from things that they have purchased at garage sales flea markets, yeah. tag sales, and things that they have literally pulled out of the dumpster. Right. To your point, I believe the people who bring items in the UK version, their motivation for bringing the items is to get an insurance value on the item because mostly it is a family heirloom and they know, already know, a lot about what they're bringing and they're just looking for an insurance value pretty I feel like pretty much most of the time and then the expert will either give the will even be able to give them more information or just confirm well what you told me is absolutely correct absolutely and let me there's just a little bit more information I might be able to give you and they're like oh <laughs> the American version. <laughs> we kind of cut most of this out. Okay. The American version of Antiques Roadshow, you have to apply online and get tickets and travel there. And people have either been told a story about this item or they've come up with an elaborate story all on their own of what they hope to believe the history and backstory of this item is. Or they have no idea what it is. And they're flat out like, it's been in my family. Or somebody I gave found, it to me. Somebody gave it to me. Or I found it at a thrift store. And, and I, I thought it was cool. And maybe it's worth something. Any information you could give me would be great. So it's a lot of heavy lifting for the experts in America. They've got to really know everything. And in the British version, they're always like, oh, well, isn't that nice, isn't it? It's two completely different atmospheres. Yes. So you really can't <laughs> compare the two. But, oh, gosh. So if, yeah. you haven't, if you haven't seen either one, I recommend watching both. The appraisers on the British version are not impressed no. by any items no, that they are have, brought. They have seen it all. I mean, I guess once you see the largest diamonds and rubies, the crown jewels, on a walking tour. Yeah. When somebody brings in a pair of earrings or a brooch, they're like, oh, oh yeah, I, I saw, I appraised 20 of these yesterday. Yeah. It's not a big deal. Eh, it's worth 20 grand. Right. Or quid. If someone could explain to me British money, I would appreciate it. Because when I traveled abroad, I would just either use my card or I would hand them money and they would give it back to me 
And I was way too trusting because a pound, a quid, I don't know. In for a penny, in for a pound. Correct. Don't know. Whatever that means. But I do appreciate on the screen, KPBS has put the breakdown of what the it equals to American dollars. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The item that we saw on the episode that we were watching the other night, this young man brings in his item and it is a family heirloom and he's so nice and he is so proud of his item that he's brought and he's also brought a photograph of his ancestor you see just these handwritten pieces of paper on this display table and on the table the item that he is getting appraised is a sterling silver crown that has a velvet green velvet lining and the crown is decorated with these beautifully fabricated little acorns and scrolling vines and on the front there is a badge and on the back there is a badge the front is engraved with the name of his great-grandfather and the back it says presented for winning the poetry contest at his school so we were, I was like huh okay I'm in what what's the story on this so the young man tells the story that his great-grandfather won a poetry contest in his school and the prize for winning was a sterling silver crown I have never heard of such a thing. What a beautiful thing. And it was perfect. It ha- he still had the original box. And he had the original 20-page poem that he had written. Yeah. And... It was in Welsh. It was in Welsh. And it was in the mid-1800s when he won this poetry contest. And he's always had it. He himself is a writer, and his mother is as well. So it runs in the family, and he wanted to know what the value of this was. For insurance. And I'll tell you what, guys. The appraiser was like, eh, yeah, it's a poetry crown, whatever. The level of disinterest of this appraiser really irked me. He was like, well... Correct. Well, as you said, it is a sterling. It is a poetry crown, which, in it of itself, is not a rarity at all. You see these all the time. Not, not something unusual. You've seen one. You've seen them all. But you're correct. It is made of sterling silver. So, mm, I'd say the value of it is the value of whatever um what, the weight the, of ounces the crown is made of yeah it's basically whatever you could melt it down to that was the value in sterling with no intrinsic value of it being a crown awarded for writing the best poetry in wales at the time and i was just like Hey. How insulting. And secondly, 
know what I did when I heard sterling silver poetry crowns are not a rarity and you can find them literally anywhere I jumped on the internet guys and I typed in sterling silver poetry crown for sale and you want to know how many results popped up zero goose egg none there are no I don't know where this appraiser hangs out where he's literally stumbling and falling over sterling silver poetry crowns but I would like to visit because it's not on the map guys I guess or I suppose people are pawning and trading in antique stores in Wales poetry crowns I guess I gotta bring an extra suitcase to be stuffing my bag full of sterling silver crowns. And when you go through customs, they'll be like, do you have anything to claim? And you go, oh, no, no big deal. Just an entire satchel full of sterling silver poetry crowns. And they'll be like, oh yeah, we see that all the time. Proceed. So if anyone has a hot tip on some sterling silver antique poetry crowns, feel free to leave a message in the comments. Pass it along, folks. I mean, my goodness gracious. And the people in the background were like, yeah, yeah, I've seen this. Yes. The looky-loos of the Antiques Roadshow for the British version are very well dressed they are very well behaved and i feel like where the appraiser and the person who has the item they keep their they keep their emotions and reactions very tight and don't really give you a reaction at all i feel like for whatever reason the the semicircle that has surrounded to hear and observe they don't feel as restricted and they actually get they give you the reaction of what they're hearing be like oh ooh, it's not a huge reaction but it is a reaction i don't know if it's because they feel like oh this has nothing to do with me so it's okay for me to react i don't know i don't i can't crack the code of their emotional one comes to mind of this ring that was found by a man in a field Mm -hmm. and we come to find out that this ring is the long lost ring of the lord that used to live on that estate and it's from the 13th or 14th century the appraiser pulls out a book that has an oil painting of this lord wearing the ring and goes well as you can see this is the ring and it's got a ruby and it's made of 18 karat gold and people were like oh isn't that interesting isn't it oh blimey and it was like that was the first time I ever saw 
shocking, mm-hmm. audible gasp. And, and the appraiser was very excited. It was like it was like a special episode because, like, look, we have emotions too. The thing that came to mind, or who I thought was going to jump into frame, was Indiana Jones and say, "It belongs in a museum." <laughs> yes, because he found it in the dirt in a field. And using a metal detector. Using a metal detector of this historical artifact. And it was wonderful. And he goes, oh, that's that's great. And it wasn't worth that much, guys. And I was shocked that it, this really, really old ring was not valuable at all. But the find that it was something of historical significance was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And so they were more excited and shocked and surprised at the historical significance than the actual money Mm -hmm. or value. Mm -hmm. But I think more uncommon items come to the UK roadshow, like the antique eyewash collection. The handcrafted blown glass eyewash collection. He had like 20 of them, and that was his collection that he sought out whenever he went to the flea markets. And when I say it's an eyewash, it's exactly what you think. It's a little pedestal that has a divot big enough for an eyeball, and you pour water in it, and you tip, put it, press it against your eye, tip your head back, and tip your head forward, and it cleanses the eye from soot from the air. Because, as you may or may not know, industrial England had a lot of soot floating around and getting in people's eyes. Just ask Bert the chimney sweep, he knows. People collect the strangest random items, and they are proud to share it with the world. The excitement that they have when talking about their collection is unparalleled. So, if you are looking for an odds and ends collection that is uncommon, look out for those handmade blown glass eyewashes. Because I, I, there's a market. Apparently, yeah. Now, on the British version, like we said, they encourage people it is part of the show that people gather around the display table and watch and listen to the story of the item and the value of the item that's encouraged u.s version of antiques roadshow no one is encouraged to come and gather and listen and eavesdrop. But guess what? That's not going to stop them. When you go to the American Antiques Roadshow and you are coming into the convention center with your items, you are then guided to different areas of appraising. So if you have furniture, if you have toys, art, jewelry, everything's a different line. So you check in, you show your item, you get in the line. Mm -hmm. And you stand around and you wait for your turn 
for your item to get appraised. Everyone will get their item appraised. Not everyone will appear on TV, but everyone will get their item appraised for free. And while people are waiting in line, the producers of the show look for interesting items or interesting people to pull from the line to put in front of the camera for the on-camera appraisals. It's not like American Idol where you have to go through a panel of judges to then get on the show to make it through rounds. No. Producers and appraisers are walking the aisles of the convention center and going, yes, that is worth money. Pull them because I this is an interesting item or this is rare or it kind of looks like something that might be worth a lot of money and I want to take a closer look at it. Yes. So in the background of the on-camera item that's being appraised, you see the droves of, of people, people waiting in line and walking around that they just have their items and they're just looking at other people's items. And people will stop <laughs> in the middle of the appraisal to listen in while an item is being appraised. And that's my favorite part of the show. It's not even the appraisal process. It's the people watching of the people watching. I love seeing the people in the background that they just stop and look straight down the barrel of the camera. And then all of a sudden they realize, oh, I got to keep moving. American version has a unique portion of the show. Yes, so if you are not pulled to have your appraisal done on camera, there's always the feedback booth. And that's at the end of the show. And so in the convention center, they have a stationary camera set up with a backdrop. In the business, we call it a step and repeat. It's a backdrop that you get your photo taken in front of. And so it it looks like a checkerboard. So it has the Antiques Roadshow logo. And then it just checkerboards it behind you. You've seen it at movie premieres, quinceañeras. Comic Con. Any sort of event where you want your picture taken. I'm sure they have it at proms now. I feel like with the invention of Instagram, uh, the step and repeat people really got a boost in their business and you can get a custom one for any event that you might have it's a great tool it makes you feel fancy but the people that they allowed to record a message straight to camera these people should not be on television by and large there was a reason that they were not chosen to be on camera but darn it they were at the antiques roadshow and they are going to record a message And some are way too hyped to be on TV. And so they have rehearsed a little poem or a haiku that they have tried to make about their experience. It's just like, it's so so not necessary. It's painful and so poorly executed. But I love it so much. It's so good. It's like a car crash that you can't look away. They have either a person by themselves or they have come to the Antiques Roadshow with someone else, whether it be another family member 
or best friend, and it's their dream to get their item appraised at the road show. And typically, they are holding the item just slightly off to the side in the camera frame. And they say, I thought it was going to be worth millions, but really it's worth a nickel. But we had a good time. Thanks, Thanks Antique Roadshow. Oh. oh my gosh. And they love to take the opportunity to rip on the other person. Oh yeah, because they'll compare items. Mine was worth $500. Yours was worth nothing because it's a piece of garbage. It's like, jeez. Tell everybody, why don't you? Right. Oh I, even gosh. if it's not true. The, the PBS people are pretty good at social media. Um, so if they could produce a supercut of the best of the feedback booth, I mean, I'd watch that. That's it would be hilarious. Gold. gold. <laughs> I remember these two ladies, they're best friends that went to the Antiques Roadshow, and they're at the feedback booth, and they're holding up their items, and they go, I brought a painting, and I brought a brooch. Turned out that it wasn't real gold, and it wasn't real stones. But we had a great time, and we got to take our picture with the Kino Brothers, and and they were so excited. And guess what, guys? I would be excited too. The brothers, the Kino Brothers, the twins. They are in charge of furniture, furniture, cabinetry, tables, chairs, chairs. Furniture. Furniture. (laughs) But the excitement that they have to show you about the patina, the graining of the wood. It's Lee and Leslie Kino. And they have their own auction house. And I, but it's funny. They have the Chiron underneath that tells where the the appraiser's name and what house they work at like if they have if they have their own shop if they work for an auction house and I feel like it changes from time to time with them I feel like sometimes the uh on-screen writing says that they work at their own uh shop sometimes I feel like at one point like one of them worked at Christie's or Sotheby's really fancy auction house which maybe they do both um, but they're just letting you know these guys know what they're doing they are experts for sure but the patina of the wood the tiger maple I feel they really like and I feel like they really like Chippendale furniture. I think they get excited about that. If something is made in Philadelphia, oh man, their eyes just light up. And my personal favorite is when they get something that has not been refinished. Oh, absolutely. Has the original finish of the wood. Mm Mm-hmm. They go, oh, did you ever think about getting it restored? Oh, no, it's been sitting in the, next to the hollow tree for 50 years, and my grandparents brought it over on the covered wagon. Like, they're like, don't touch it. Don't ever touch it. Maybe just 
rub it with a wet cloth with some oil, but don't, because it will ruin the the value. Yes, yes, absolutely. And if you're going to get it restored, make sure it's by someone who knows what they're doing. Yes, absolutely. And they'll, they'll be like... Let's let's take out the drawers. So when you take out the drawers, and then they get so excited about the dovetailing, and if there's a paper label, forget it. What about the ball and claw feet? Yes, on the bottoms of the cabinetry, the Windsor back of a chair. It's oh man, the excitement that people get about who knew about furniture, but. Oh my gosh, this lady thought this piece of furniture was worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. It was huge. The effort she had to have made to get that thing in the building. Large items to get appraised at the roadshow. You really are betting on it being worth something Mm -hmm. and this lady brought this giant piece of cabinetry and we come to find out that there's almost nothing about it that is original that it has no value whatsoever a new piece of furniture that you would find at crate and barrel was worth more than this piece of cabinetry and the just the color drain from her face And if I was told that a giant piece of cabinetry that was awkward and heavy was worth nothing, I wouldn't bother taking it home with me. I would leave it in the parking lot. (laughs) On my way out, I would leave it. I would drop it like a bad habit. Then the appraisers try to make you feel better and be like, well, do you use it in your home? Yeah, it's what I use in my room. Oh, well. At least you're getting use out of it. It's not worth anything, but and it's a piece of garbage. But uh, as long as you get use out of it, it's good. So most of the time, when a genuinely old item comes into the U.S. version of Antiques Roadshow, it is from Asia, and that is because people had gone overseas for the war. And they were in the military, and they brought things home. So you get a lot of vases or decorative bowls or things like that. And people are so shocked when the appraisers tell them that it is is thousands of years old in exaggeration. No, it's it's amazing. Things made of jade, mm-hmm. uh, old pieces of pottery, sake containers. And they're like, this is really old. And they're like, oh, I, I use this as a vase. And they're like, please stop doing that. Don't, don't do that anymore. Or it's a comb. Or it's a brooch. Or a necklace. Or a jade bracelet. <laughs> oh, I wear this every day when I go to hot yoga. And it's like, oh my gosh, please. Uh, just put it somewhere safe because it's so fragile and it's, if it gets one crack it's destroyed and you're one just... One crack! Just one crack! Right. When people bring something that is so old so valuable and so fragile I know when I buy a mug 
from Target or from Goodwill, I do not allow the person at the checkout counter to put it in the bag. I'll just say, can you hand it to me? And I will have it on its own because I am so afraid of it breaking. The time and effort that these people are going through to take their items from their home to the convention center to get it appraised and then they find out that it's worth money I can't imagine the stress of trying to get that item back home without it breaking oh yeah because I know when I pack for a trip you pack it a specific way to make it fit like Tetris when you go to come home from your trip it never fits back in your bag no. the way that it was before. It just doesn't happen. Or when you need to return an item and you got to ship it back in the same box once you've taken it out. No. Forget it. Forget it. I'm just not returning it. I, I can't imagine finding out something that's been in your home for 30 years and it's been fine where it is and you go to take it to the Antiques Roadshow and you take it out of the box and it is shattered into a million pieces. Or you get it appraised, you find out it's worth a lot of money and you get it home and it's shattered into a million pieces. (laughs) I would just die. I feel like if you could, you could say to the appraiser, will you just buy it from me right now? I understand that you got to make some money, so just give me half of my appraisal, and you take care. And then it, the all the stress transfers to you. That'd be great. They are not allowed to do that, by the way. The appraisers at the Antique Roadshow, they are not allowed to offer to buy the item that they appraise because it's a conflict of interest. You know, it, it'll be like, oh, in their head, like it's worth twenty thousand dollars. Oh, maybe worth a thousand. They are not allowed to do that. So it keeps the integrity of the appraisal. I appreciate that. So there, are, there have been times, however, where someone will have something that's like really worth a lot of money. Like if a painting is worth $20,000 or something like that. And the person's like, I, I want to sell it. This all happens off camera, by the way. But... They get the appraisal and, you know, have the big reaction and everything. And some people, most people, I would assume, they don't have the means of getting a really expensive painting in the right auction house. They don't have the connections. So sometimes the Antiques Roadshow will help the person get all the right people to talk to. Um, They'll give them the phone numbers of, you know auction houses and things like that and obviously if the antiques roadshow is vouching for you they're going to take your phone call and that's happened over the years they've done follow-up specials and i remember this one lady like she had a chair or something like that that was worth 20 grand and she's like i'll i'll sell it and they helped her and it was like at a christie's auction house and and they showed footage of the auction and it went well above what they had said and she was just so thrilled it was so cool and what they do say when they give you the appraisal they go now that's just an estimate of it at retail 
if you put it at a live auction, it can always go higher because if you get two people in the room and each one has a lot of money and they really want that chair, there's no limit to how high it will go. Because it could be worth whatever someone will pay for it. That's right. It's absolutely right. On occasion, you get an item that someone brings in and they have no idea what it's worth. It's just something that's been sitting in their house and they just want to know more about it. And there was an older gentleman that brought a rug that had been sitting on the back of a chair for forever. And he was from a tiny town. He was a farmer. And he found out he had a hand-woven rug that was Native American that was from pre-Civil War. And it was worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Good thing he was sitting in a chair because he would have fallen over. Mm -hmm. And when someone gets an item appraised that's worth a lot of money, it could change their life. But my mind automatically goes to the looky-loos that I was like, I hope that they don't say that too loud, and I hope that he's got some security on the way out that this old man doesn't get robbed. In the parking lot. In the parking lot! I hope there's cameras. Yeah. Always watching. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. When people get really, really good news, that's that's my favorite. There was another one where these older people brought in uh, this giant portrait, and it just always been in their house and they said that they got it i think their grandparents got it um in exchange for helping build a barn two towns over and the family couldn't pay them anything so they gave them this piece of art and so it's always been hanging in the house and they didn't know anything about it and same thing they brought it in and it was worth so much money and they just started crying because the people who, the, in their family that had originally gotten the painting they had no money and that they had this art in their house and they had no clue it was just a flood of emotions they really had something special and now they had given them something that could really help them now if they were to sell it it was just it was really cool and those kinds of moments are just that is what you look for and sometimes bring people bring in pieces of art that we look at and go you couldn't pay me to put that in my house or if i saw or if i saw it in the alley next to the trash can, I just keep on driving. I wouldn't even take it for free. Heather, do you remember the old lady that bought the piece of artwork oh at the Goodwill? Oh my gosh. So this older woman brought in a painting. And it was a painting of a basket of strawberries. <laughs> 
and so as the format goes the appraiser goes so tell us a little bit about your item and so then the person launches into their story and she goes oh well I yes I saw this painting in an antique store but it didn't have a frame but I liked it so I purchased it and then I measured it and I went to the Goodwill and I found a frame that fit it now it's not the nicest frame but it fit so I put it on there and so I could hang it on my wall and it's been there ever since now as she's telling the story this appraiser is just barely controlling himself he is twitching because the knowledge is trying to escape his throat he is barely hanging on and so this painting is on an easel right it's it's going up and down it's vertical and and he asks her the question after she finishes the story of well do you have any idea who it's by or have you tried to do any research and her response was well I looked and looked at the painting and there doesn't seem to be any markings or signature so that's why I brought it here and so again he's barely containing himself and he kind of does like a you know inner pep talk of calm down calm down it's on camera relax and he kind of you know shakes it off so the first thing he decides to tackle he goes as your story says that is correct the frame is not original to the painting and as you said the frame is quite terrible <laughs> and the look on this woman's face was like it's like that meme of do i look fat in this you look beautiful i never said i was ugly <laughs> on this apparently horribly ugly frame in the process he goes well the reason why you didn't find a signature is because you have it framed wrong and he flips and turns the painting so it's side to side and a land and landscape he goes because as you know the basket of strawberries the point is the strawberries are cascading out of the basket onto the table not flowing upwards into the air and again the look on this woman's face and he goes and as you see when it's when it's being hung correctly you can see on the lowermost strawberry is the name of the artist. Oh, I didn't see that there. That's been there the whole time. Then he goes on to talk about the artist and the thing. And the painting was worth like five grand or something. I mean, way more than I would have thought of for a basket of strawberries but she was the so when she heard how much the painting was worth you could tell her demeanor was like all right i forgive you for being kind of a jerk 
And she's like, oh, well, that's very nice. Thank you. I appreciate all the information. But that was, that was brutal. The other thing is, is the stories that people seem to come up with. And you can tell who is telling the truth and who is not. Let's talk about the Ansel Adams print, shall we? Oh my goodness. Now, now we're going to say allegedly. Because I kind of feel like if the guy had attained this print through nefarious means, why would he be on national television sitting next to it? A.K.A. evidence. But the story goes is here's this guy with the art appraiser and he has a photographic print of Yosemite? It's Half Dome. Ansel Adams. And this piece of photography has no frame. And they have it displayed on an easel. It is signed on the front by Ansel Adams. And it is signed on the back by Ansel Adams. And it has a stamp that says it was purchased at the gift shop at the National Park. Pretty close after the photograph was made. I mean, it's, it's old. A.K.A. it's going to be worth some money. And the guy proceeds to to tell the origin story, which is required, with the, the, the setup question. So, tell us about your item. I was staying at a friend's house, and I saw it, and I commented on it, and I said, oh, that's a cool photograph. And my friend gave it to me. That's it, guys. That's the whole story. And I listen to that story and go, wait a minute. This friend didn't have this art print, this very nice art print that is signed by one of the, if not the most famous artists and photographers of the national parks. They didn't have this framed and they just gave it to you because you commented, oh, that's a cool photograph. Something is a little fishy and a little off about this story. I think that he tried to steal the photograph, and in the process, he broke the frame as he tore it off the wall on his way out from stealing said photograph from this person's house. I don't think it was a friend at all. Allegedly. As I say, I don't think he would be on national television sitting next to evidence of a crime. I just don't think he would be. So when you're talking about treasure hunting and eccentric people, you got to talk about the TV show American Pickers. American Pickers started in 2010 and it stars Mike Wolf and Frank Fritz. And they travel across America in their Sprinter van searching the homes of America for rusty gold. The personalities of these two guys in a van digging through attics, climbing over piles of garbage in barns, in people's houses, basements. I'll give it to them that when Mike snaps those glasses together to better read, so these two guys, Mike Wolf and Frank Fritz, are self-described a couple of corn cobs from Iowa. 
That is usually how they describe themselves. <laughs> so that they endear trust from the backwoods people that they encounter so often. And they are nice guys. Um, this is something that they have done their entire adult life. They have been friends since high school, I believe they have said. And they are junkers, antiquers, seekers of kitschy items. And they sell them either at their retail store or online for a profit. This is how they make their living. And they're very knowledgeable about various things. Frank likes oil cans, fire, antique fire extinguishers. Mike likes bicycles, motorcycles, and large metal advertising signs. I feel like those are the big ticket items for them that they can get a big profit margin for. They gotta still have something left on the bone. A little bit of meat on the bone because they can't be paying retail when they buy the items from these people. When we're talking about these two characters driving down the back roads of America and when they're, quote, freestyling? Yes, freestyling. And that is where they are literally driving around looking at people's property from the road. And they go park on these people's property and they walk up to the front door with their flyer and they knock on the door most of the time people are friendly when they open the door but there's the one out of ten where i feel like a double barrel shotgun like is gonna slide out of the peephole and be like get off my yard yes trespassing sometimes if it's not freestyling they have their trusty sidekick Danielle. Danielle. Danny. Danny D. Danny Diesel. She sends the coordinates. That's right. That's right. She will talk to people ahead of time and see whether or not they are interested in allowing the show, aka the boys, come over and dig through their personal items and possibly make a sale. So they roll up to the house and they have a... I got a flyer for you. This is just a cup list of items that we're interested in. If you have anything like that, want to look it over. And as we said, it, you know, advertising, old cars, motorcycles, etc., etc., etc. But sometimes they roll up and they have talked to not the owner of the property, but a relative of the owner of the property, and these older folks just get blindsided and say well grandpa remember how you said that we need to get rid of some of your stuff and these guys are gonna pay good money to take it off your hands what an awkward situation it's so terrible for the guys and the people of the show because they have been told a completely different story and that's not cool that's not cool um so then it becomes Mike and Frank's responsibility to break the tension and convince them that I'm not stealing from you. I'm actually trying to purchase things from you and take them off your hands and get the money flowing. And so then they have to do all this groundwork 
of building trust. And that's just, that's exhausting. Poor guys. And what you gotta do to get the money flowing, you gotta break the ice. That's right. And so there is a whole glossary of American pick our terms, which if you have been friends for a really long time, like Mike and Frank have, you just have all these inside lingo that you just know. Like it's when twins are born and they have their own twin language before they actually learn a verbal language. But it's so funny. They have this whole glossary of terms. And breaking the ice means you, the first item you buy from this person, you pay way more than you normally would just to get a sense of camaraderie and trust going. Well, if they're willing to pay $100 for a piece of crap that I don't care about, maybe these guys aren't so bad after all. And then they start getting excited about showing them all that they have for sale. And a lot of times when you have reluctant sellers that really don't want to let go of an item, but Mike or Frank really, really want it, they will do anything to purchase the item. Especially if it's for their own personal collection. Right. They'll hold it up and they go, how much for this? And they go, I don't, that's not for sale. And they'll say, what's the, I don't want to sell it price. And the person will be like, not impressed. And they'll be like, uh, $1,000. I'll take it. And they'll be like, are you serious? He goes, yeah. And they'll be like, okay. So. It kind of loosens them up a little bit. And they usually will do the shake on it overpay because Mike and Frank have probably read the room and surveyed the scene and took a look took a a good look around and realized this person's got really good stuff that we want to buy so they'll overcompensate and overpay for one item so that maybe in hopes that this person will let more valuable items go. Yes and in that case that would be called a mega pick or a honey hole and this might be a property where this collector or this person has never let any items go and so they get the first crack and the first look to go over and pick out all the most valuable sought after items in this person's collection or garage or general store that has been in this family's possession for years and years and years. And sometimes when they're picking out this rusty gold, these are items that have been sitting for like 50 years. Mm -hmm. And now they're coming out into the light of day. And they might be a little dirty or a little sweaty, but that is the way they say they like it. And if you find a whole bunch of stuff in this honey hole, Frank is the master of the bundle. Yes, and bundling is where 
instead of just asking the price of one item, you find three or four items that you're interested in purchasing and you'll say, I'll give you this much for the whole lot and maybe get a discount. So if he finds one rusty sign, instead of offering $50 for it, he'll grab a rusty sign, an old clock, and um, the badge off an old-timey bicycle and be like, I'll give you $100 for the lot. Sometimes they go for it, sometimes they don't. Like one, one particular guy that they found when they were freestyling was a guy who had like three buildings on the di dilapidated main street of this tiny town and it was just warehouses of stuff. Cold called this guy and on the phone, he kept using the phrase, you gotta talk nice to me. And like me at home, Mike and Frank were completely in the dark as to what does that mean? And they met with the guy, he was willing to sell things and they were showing him around and he just kept saying the phrase, yeah, well, you gotta talk nice to me. And they're like, have we not been talking nice to you? And so at one point, Frank takes it upon himself to ad lib this monologue. And I'll say the guy's name is Bob. He goes, well, you know, Bob, you've let us in to your warehouse. We are strangers in this town. And by your kindness and grace, you have allowed us to come into your inner sanctum. And the guy's just looking at him. He goes, dude, what are you talking about right now? And the Frank goes, I'm trying to talk nice to you. I don't know what you want. And the guy goes, that's not what I mean by talk nice to me. And so they point like Google, then what do you mean? He goes, he goes, I want the money. Don't try and cheap out on me. He was just like, oh boy. So you never know who you're going to meet out on the road. Mike and Frank American Pickers is on the History Channel. Mm -hmm. And another great show on the History Channel is Pawn Stars. So that was started in 2009. And that it takes place in Las Vegas at Gold and Silver Pawn Shop run by Rick Harrison, his son Corey, his father Richard, and... Corey's best friend Chum Lee. That's your cast of characters. And people can bring in their items and either sell them or pawn them. And I feel like at the beginning of the series, there were people that pawned things, but now everybody just wants to sell. So the format of Pawn Stars is the person who's bringing the item to sell or pawn gets interviewed by the camera in the parking lot and they tell the camera what they hope will happen when they go inside the pawns shop and then we go inside and we watch the interaction and so the person slaps the item on the counter and one of the guys from the shop will see okay what do we got here today is usually the opening conversation and the person will then talk about the item 
where they got the item, what they think the item is. And then the person at the pawn shop will say, oh, that's interesting. And you can tell whether or not they're actually interested or if they think it's a value. If they think it's actually a value, they'll say, hmm, you know, I really don't know a lot about this item or the value of it. Tell you what, do you got some time you can hang around? Let me call a buddy of mine. And then flash forward to this guy or lady expert comes in. And if it's a book, they'll have the lady who's the book expert. If it's guns, they have a weapons expert, etc., etc. And the person will then reiterate their story and the, and the expert will side eye look look the item over and say no this is what it really is or confirm yeah you're right and then they will give a value to rick of what that item is worth on the open market now based on that information we then negotiate between rick and the person who's selling so it's it's a gamble on Rick's part when he brings in the expert because if the guy selling the item only wanted $500, let's say, for the item, and then the expert comes in and goes, this thing is worth ten grand," the person's now going to up their price, obviously. So then Rick's like... Argh. I should have just gone with my gut and just been like, yeah, sold, $500. So now he's got to negotiate. And he all, they always try to talk the person down, especially if it's a piece of art. They'll be like, well, the frame's not very good, so I'm going to have to take this piece of art to an art gallery and have them remat it and reframe it. And that's going to cost me quite a bit of money. So I'm going to have to make a bigger investment. So I'm not going to get as big as a return on my profit when I sell it. You know, they're always trying to do that. But as we say, they're in a pawn shop. They're in the business of making money. It's not a charity. So anyway, that's the whole song and dance. And so they negotiate back and forth. I'll give you, how much do you want? Well, now that we have all the information, how much were you looking to get for the item? Well, the expert says it's worth ten grand. Well, let me tell you, I'm not gonna give you ten grand. I got a business to run. Okay, that makes sense. Well, how much you? How much would you give me for it? I'll give you a thousand dollars. That doesn't seem about right. How about? How about five thousand dollars? No, I'll give you two grand, not a penny more. It's no, that's it. That's done for me. I'm not moving. You can either take it or take your item and go. Totally up to you, your decision. And then the person makes their decision of what they want to do. Sometimes they sell, sometimes they don't. It's interesting. And it, it's a really good lesson in negotiating, for sure. It's a great lesson on haggling and that is where I learned the haggle term. Meet me in the middle. Now, do you think the viral hit song by Marin Morris and Zed is based on the haggling technique learned on Pawn Stars? Baby, why don't you, you just meet me in the middle? I'm losing my 
woman just a little. I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. I really uh, love the appraiser, the historical guy with the hat. The wide-brimmed hat and the beard. He is only there to authenticate the item. He is not there to make money. None of that. He wants no part of that. But he loves appraising old money, notes, coins, uh, some types of antique guns. But the provenance of the item. Always the provenance. Well, that's a good story, but how can you prove it? Because it's you might be able to tell a great story, but it doesn't mean nothing without a certificate of authenticity or proving that the item, in fact, is what you say it is and who actually owned it. So, based on our love for watching Antiques Roadshow, the American version and the British version, American Pickers, and Pawn Stars, Heather... Which show would you like to be on? If I was to appear on any of these shows, I think Antiques Roadshow, the U.S. version, would be my choice. Because I feel like everyone in that building has this is there for the same reasons. Uh, people who are bringing the item are really excited because what they believe that they possess or at least hope that it is of value and they are seeking knowledge. The appraisers that are working the show are excited to see new things and impart wisdom and the crew that is running the show, they're trying to deliver entertainment to the viewing audience. So I feel like everyone's there for a good time. And so I would think that the atmosphere at that event is really good. Really good vibes. And I think that's evident from the feedback booth. Even though their item wasn't worth anything, they still had a great time. Which which one would you like to appear at? I think that I would like to be a participant in the van with Mike and Frank, meeting different people, going on different properties, because I love looking at other people's collections, because people enjoy different things, or what they loved playing with as a kid, their toys, I know that we enjoy collecting Disney things. Right. Yeah. Uh, Heather used to collect old lunch boxes. Metal ones, yeah. And so I think the purity of buying items because you enjoy them and it brings you joy and you enjoy looking at them, I don't think people typically buy an item because they think it looks valuable Mm -hmm. because if you go to a goodwill or if you go to the swap meet or an estate sale i don't think your motivation should buy something that you think is ugly 
but you think is valuable. That doesn't make any sense to me. Buy something because you enjoy it, not because you think it's valuable. And as always, the time to buy it is when you see it. That's another American picker's nugget of wisdom. And as they say at the end of Antiques Roadshow U.S. version, thank you for joining us. And keep an eye out for those sterling silver poetry crowns. Lined in velvet. And if you have a collection of your own that you would like to share with us, please feel free to comment. And as always, like and subscribe to I'm Not Complaining. I'm Just Asking.